It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everyone, and welcome to North Star Sports. I'm your host, Owen Ely. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You also can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarsports.media. And welcome to the show, everyone. We got a great one for you today here on this Monday, December 21st, as we look to recap UFC Fight Night Thompson versus Neil, which took place on Saturday, December 19th at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. And what a card that was. And I know I say that every week, but what a card this was. That was quite the way to end out uh, the uh, disastrous 2020 year for most sports organizations, but really one of the best years for the UFC. I suppose we'll get into that in a little bit, but this one's going to be a long show. We got a lot to talk about. Uh, We'll also have a uh, MMA awards show. Uh, probably uh, probably not in this episode, but uh, we'll post it today. I'll probably complete this one and go back and do a separate MMA awards show. Obviously, you can check out the awards at northstarsports.media slash awards. We announced them uh, on Saturday, uh, 10 categories. Obviously, the correct people won the awards. I mean, you know, we do it before the UFC does it. We do it, well, I guess they don't do awards, but we do it before most of the MMA media does it. And they're going to get it wrong, you know what I mean? But we have all the correct answers for the awards. So, I mean, you got to check that out. And, I mean, we had the uh, conclusion of the uh, North Star Sports uh, December World Grand Prix that uh, uh, concluded. And it was fucking weird because uh, me and Drew tied uh, in the opening round. And, uh, you know, we had to adapt. But, you know, that's what we do here. We adapt. Uh, And uh, Jordan ever so slightly got past Pip. It was a non-title fight, and Pip was not eligible for gold. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's that was pretty close. I don't know. That's sus. That's sus. That's, as the kids would say, that was pretty close. Uh, obviously, you know, the mailman just dominates. You know what I mean? We could, we could forget, though. We could forget most of, actually, all of November and most of December. You know, we could forget all that. You know, mailman's back to dominating. You know what I mean? 50-44. I mean... Not even, not even close. You know, no sweat off my back. I mean, that was, that was uh, a legendary. Some might say. Some people have told me that was a legendary performance by the mailman. You know what I mean? So that 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 was that was fun. Uh, We had Reagan tying with uh, Bree, forty-seven, forty-seven. And I know, I know, I said that was for a bronze medal match, um, but they tied. So we were originally going to have. Uh, so Drew lost, so he got the bronze medal, and then we were just gonna have an extra bronze medal. But you, they tied, so fuck them. They don't get they don't get a bronze medal. That t- so it works out. We were gonna have all these messed up medals, but now you know, now we have the gold. Jordan got the gold, I got the silver, and, and Drew got the bronze. So you know, it all it all kind of worked out. And Captain, holy shit, Captain is fucking. And Captain does make these picks, by the way. Not like you know, not like some some characters some characters don't don't make their picks but captain makes his picks so the fact he's on a two fight winning streak that is fucking impressive he beat peyton 49 48 i think that's two in a row against peyton so captain you know what i mean he was the laughing stock for a long time but you know he's he's inching near 500 
So we'll take a look here at the uh, overall points for uh, the World Grand Prix. Uh, me and Drew... You know what? We're not tied. We're not tied. Technically, we're tied because we both have five points. But I'm giving me... I'm giving me... And I do the same for him. I'm giving me the lead because I have a gold and a silver. And Drew has a gold, no silvers, and two bronzes. So, I mean, we both have golds. Only one of us has silver. So... Technically, we're tied, but, you know, got to have tiebreakers. That's the one thing December's taught me, is that we have to have tiebreakers. So, we're going to be... We have a, lo a lot of good stuff upcoming. You know, I was just talking with the uh, the fireman, or the fucking fireman, the locomotive. We're going to have a lot more people doing the main card showdown. I mean, we already have a league of it, but we're going to have a lot more people. Uh, if any fans want to get involved, I you know, I don't see why not. Um, but it's, it's going to be fun, and we might have some, some different ideas um, in, in 2021. So, you know, we'll, we'll all figure it out. Uh, Jordan's sitting there tied for second, or I guess tied for third, really, with uh, Reagan. They're both uh, at four points. Reagan somehow has two silver medals. That's interesting. And uh, Jordan's got a gold and a bronze. Um, I think that's all we have pertaining to the main card showdown obviously it's on ice for a while because the ufc is gone for three weeks which is gonna fucking suck it's gonna suck i mean i guess we'll have basketball couldn't really give less of a shit um football's cool and college football i mean it'll be it'll be, it'll be bowl season and stuff like that so you know I'll, I'll scrape by i'll scrape by but you know it's not gonna be fun i, I might have to become a bellator or a ryzen fan um, but but we'll get we'll get by. Um, oh, another thing that I, I'm probably going to do when I'm done here, um, outside of the award show, is we started doing rankings. I want to say like at the end of May, so it's not a complete year. Obviously, going forward, you know, we'll have a com a complete year, so you can look back at the rankings from the start to finish. But I I want to go back and look at our first ever rankings and look at our current rankings. And uh, I don't know how I'll do it, like the, the format, but I, I, want, I want to have like a side-by-side -side so you can see like, uh, oh, Rob Font went up, uh, you know, eight spots in 2020. I feel like that'd be cool to look back and, and see who's fallen and who's risen and, and, and stuff like that. So I think uh, I'm still debating the format, but we'll, we'll definitely do that. Um... Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's all the housekeeping we have to get to, so we'll get right into this recap, and we'll start here in the main event. It was uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson winning a unanimous decision over Jeff Neal. I believe it was 50-45 across the board. Uh, just utter domination, utter domination, and this, was, this is what I was saying in the preview show. I, I know Jeff Neal is a trendy pick. I believe he was the slight favorite, according to most of the uh, the the uh, bookie organizations, I don't know why I stumbled on that. Um, but guys, like, it's hard to get past Wonder Boy. Like, I I know he got knocked out by by uh, Anthony Pettis, but th there's nobody's gonna have a striking advantage against Wonder Boy. Wonder Boy, I really I really feel that. Like, um, I don't know, man. The only way to beat him, and his takedown defense is fucking crazy as well. It's it's uh, it's not as high as Jose Aldo's, who we'll get to um, in a little bit, but it's like in the high 70s or something, 
So like he's well aware of where he's proficient and where he's he's you know not exactly a threat. And uh, man, he just he put it on him. I mean, uh, I'd, I'd love to find. It's harder to find stats than you'd think, but I'd love to find the stats because the the amount of strikes he threw was like Colby Covington esque. You know, it really reminded me honestly of Colby Covington's performance against uh, Robbie Lawler. He was just playing with him. He was peppering him. Um, I think Thompson threw a little, a little more power than Covington did in that fight, but really it was just a striking clinic. And it, it, it is a little different because obviously Covington mixed in the takedowns and the wrestling and stuff like that. And this was, you know, exclusively essentially a kickboxing match with some, some clinch work. But uh, man, nobody's, nobody's going to beat Wonderboy Thompson striking, honestly. Like if, if we just go in there and you can't, you can't attempt takedowns, it's it's a fucking nightmare and obviously that's why he's an undefeated kickboxer but um yeah his his spinning shit was great the the only thing i would nitpick with wonderboy um and everybody made a big deal about jeff neal's power which he does have good power but listen if you're trying to if you're trying to rely on uh you know one shot ko against wonderboy this is the result you know what i mean you're not going to you're more than likely, I know he got knocked out by Pettis, you're more than likely not going to get that, that one in a million knockout shot. So that's that's a really bad strategy to employ. And that's that's really why Neil struggled early on, because you could tell he was really tentative. He he uh, uh, he, he was kind of walking him down. He was trying to, to close him out. He was trying to close the angles, which is, is smart. That's something you have to do with, with Thompson, because he is so elusive. His lateral movement his movement in general is just fucking elite. I honestly couldn't think of someone with... I mean, I guess Dom Cruz has better footwork, I guess, but that's bantamweight and, you know, they're lighter. I, I think for anything over bantamweight, it's it's probably Wonderboy when it comes to footwork. But sometimes Wonderboy put himself in, in bad positions where his, his, the back of his head was facing towards Neil. Like, he would, he would you know... Oh, I'm trying to think, like... I think, oh, fuck, what's the term for that? He tried to do, like, that Joe Rogan spinning sidekick, and he got put in a bad spot, and, and if Jeff Neal reacted a little quicker, probably could have blasted Wonderboy to the back of the head and just flatlined him. Um, but other than that, man, it's it's tough. And Thompson didn't really gas out. The, the only intriguing part of this fight, really, um, you know, when it comes to who was going to win the fight, was when Thompson's knee muscle just kind of rolled up like a fucking one of those blinds that you 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 know try to get in the right spot and pull down and and it it like coils up but other other than that oh i guess an accidental headbutt i mean any anytime you have a fucking anytime you have what looks like female genitalia right above your eyelid I mean, the fight could stop at any time. I mean, that was... I'm surpri- I'm honestly surprised that the cut did not get worse for Jeff Neal. Because you're like, oh, that's a bad cut for, for Wonderboy. Um, you know, but it's not in a fight-ending spot. You know what I mean? The blood might get in the eyes in, in certain spots. But it's not on the eyelid. You know, it's, it's you know, right, right in between the eyebrows. And then Jeff Neal, you didn't see it until like 30 seconds later. Ah, like, oh, that's... That's a really bad spot. So I'm actually surprised the f- the fight went that long, but it was utter domination. A-, a little bit too much too soon for Jeff Neal. I'm still high on him. He's still a really good prospect. Y- you know what I mean? There's plenty of fighters. I mean, 
Wonderboy Thompson lost to Matt Brown very early on in his career, and, you know, he fought for two titles. And I think he could fight for a title again. And I said it on the preview show, and I like that he mentioned it. I didn't know if he was going to because he's a very, very nice guy. Um, but that Masvidal fight is interesting. I mean, you couldn't go wrong with matchmaking at the top of the welterweight division. If if we get Masvidal and Covington, I am all in. Take my fucking money. And if it's Thompson and Masvidal, holy shit, I don't know who I would pick. Because... I guess Masvidal is going to have the grappling advantage, but he's not exactly known as a guy who's just going to, uh, you know, take someone down at will and, and hold him down and ground and pound him. So it's probably going to be a striking affair. And Wonderboy Thompson, I mean, it, it does not get better. It does not get better in, in the realm of striking than Wonderboy. Um, so I, I love that. And if Wonderboy beats Masvidal, the, the BMF versus the nicest MF, um, probably a title shot probably a title shot so wonder boy realistically is, is only a, a fight away from getting another crack at the title and he is up there in age 38 i believe by far would be the oldest age someone became a champion in the welterweight division because i think woodley was the oldest back in 2016 when he did it and i think he was like 35 or something so Thompson's up there in age when it comes to you know championship level fighters, but fuck me, man, he might be he might be the exception. He he really might. So I, I like that for for Thompson and then for Neil. I mean, I'm not too sure. I, I'll try to pull up the rankings here. Um, but you know, you could you could find you could find good matchups. Hey, I would honestly like to see him fight Anthony Pettis. I know he was talking about going down to lightweight, but we have Pettis at 14. We have Jeff Neal at 12. I mean, I don't know. You definitely could find matchups for Jeff Neal um, at welterweight. But honestly, the, the rankings don't really change. They don't really change that much. Jeff Neal stays at 12 because at 13 is Bilal Muhammad. Well, Jeff Neal recently beat Bilal Muhammad. So I'm sure the UFC rankings will have Jeff Neal below Bilal Muhammad. But it's like, well, if he, if he just beat Bilal, how can I move him below and he was facing a guy who was seven spots higher and then you look at uh thompson he was at five he stays at five because above him is masvidal above him is edwards burns i mean i don't know it's just tough i can't i can't really justify putting thompson above the the fighters ahead of him in the rankings i just think they've done too much so i think it solidifies his spot at number five it's a win it, it, it keeps him active it keeps him in main events but rankings wise it, it didn't do a whole lot for him when you beat the number 12 guy and, and you're in the top five i mean what am i supposed to put you at number two i mean you know what i mean it's it's not exactly fair to the rest of the guys uh, moving on here, uh, in the co-main event, we had Jose Aldo winning a unanimous decision over Marlon Vera. Again, that's kind of a common theme of this fight card. It was, and, and you know, they mentioned it on the broadcast. Will the young pups, you know, grow into wolves uh, right in front of our eyes, or will they, or, or you know, will the established people kind of throw them back? And that's what we saw here. You know, Jose Aldo. Uh, a lot of people were counting him out. I think he still was the very slight favorite uh, in this fight, but just too much for Marlon Vera. I mean, Jose Aldo's a handful, and and let's let's not forget. I mean, he does have a lot of red on his record recently, but I mean, you know, we're we're, we're talking about 
Volkanovsky, who is the champ, Pyotr Jan, who is the champ, Holloway, who was the champ, Conor McGregor, I guess if we're going five years back, but, you know, that's a relatively recent fight for him. So it's like he's only lost to, like, the elite, elite guys. I think that's a better discussion with Aldo is could he ever become champ again? Uh, who knows? I probably say not, but could he beat almost everybody else in the division? Yeah, I think he could. And he, he won that fight against Marlon Moraes. So, you know, that's a recent loss that was kind of bullshit. Um, you know, but he'll, he, if you're not at his level, he's going to demolish you. He's going to throw you out. Moicano, not at his level, gone. Stevens, not at his level, knocked him out in round one with a body punch. Uh, you, you know what I mean? So you have to be at a certain uh, level to, to even be on in the same conversation as Aldo. And, you know, in, in the UFC, the best fight the best. So... Uh, you know, it's not boxing. We don't just fight 10 cans in a row. So, yeah, he's racked up some losses recently. Still, quite frankly, uh, an elite fighter. And, uh, you know, he, he put it on Vera. That third round was interesting uh, because uh, Marlon Vera wo- wore a uh, Jose Aldo backpack for uh, essentially five minutes. And I know Aldo wasn't doing a whole lot uh in the grappling department like he wasn't trying for a bunch of submissions he wasn't really uh landing a bunch of ground and pound shots but that looks really bad for marlon vera the fact that there's so so if i'm a fighter who's fighting marlon vera i go oh okay so he he can't do anything on the ground at a certain at a certain level i'm sure if he fought a white belt he could you know what i mean like we, we gotta consider context here but like oh okay wow that is eye-opening he just it's not. He wasn't getting his head caved in, obviously, but there's nothing he could do. He could not escape. He could not escape. So you're just sitting there. It's frustrating, and it was kind of boring to watch, but you just go, oh, wow. So if, if someone at a high enough level takes you down, and Jose Aldo, he has one submission, submission on his record. He's Brazilian, so I'm sure he's a black belt in BJJ. I'm sure he's obviously trained on the ground, but it's like... You'd, it's not like you were going up against Damian fucking Maya. You know what I mean? You're going up against a, a guy who is well established as a striker, and you just got grapple fucked. So, you know, that is, that's eye opening. That's not good. But Aldo, he looked good. He looked good. I mean, I, I think the discussion with Aldo is just about, you know, tread on the tires, but, you know, whether or not he can go out there and, and uh, you know, strike well. I don't, I don't think that's, uh, you know, up for up for debate his, his striking was awesome as always mixed in those body punches he landed like two or three in uh in round number one in round number one he landed like two or three really really good body punches uh he he incorporated kicks a little bit i think he abandoned the kicks uh after a while but he used a little more leg kicks which you like to see because you know when he was at his peak he was using a lot of leg kicks and uh yeah his boxing is so fucking good and and the thing that you know spoiler alert not that you know people don't know who jose aldo is but holy shit his his striking iq is is maxed out i mean i I was very impressed and again listen it's it was a tough test because i think marlon vera is a tough fighter it's not going to do him a whole lot in the rankings because you beat the number 15 guy and you're number seven so you know it's an eight spot difference although bantamweight is very very deep but we'll, we'll see what the next fight for him is I, I i you know what i mean he's he's gonna go up in the rankings it's gonna be a tougher fight and and then we'll see and then we'll see 
Um, but I, I like the call out of uh, TJ Dillashaw. I think that would be an awesome legacy fight. Uh, I, I think it would make a lot of sense for, for what Jose Aldo is looking for because, to be honest, he just lost to Piotr Jan. So there's not... He is Aldo. He is a legend. So he's going to be able to round the corner on getting back to the title, if you know what I mean. Like, uh, you know, the UFC will definitely push him. But listen, okay, say he takes on TJ Dillashaw and wins. Does he get another crack at the title? Probably not, man. He's probably still like two or three fights away. Like, you got to string together some wins here, especially in such a stacked division where there's so many good young fighters. I mean, we got to... We gotta, we we have to have Sterling fight for the title. We have to. What if Dillashaw comes back and beats uh, Pedro Munoz or something, or beats Cody Garbrandt? Well, now we have to have Dillashaw, you know, in the title discussion. Well, Corey Sanhagen just knocked the fuck out of Marlon Marais, so he's up there. So it's just like, ah, nobody's going to be in a rush to get Aldo back in a title situation. So taking a legacy fight like that would make a lot of sense. And then for for Marlon Vera, I'm, I'm not sure what's next for him. You know, you got to feel bad for him because technically he's uh, one and two in his last three fights. Obviously, that was a bullshit decision against Song Yudong, but uh, this this was uh, this was a good decision. He definitely lost that fight. And we'll take a look here at the North Star Sports bantamweight division rankings. A lot of changes, a lot of changes, uh, because uh, well. You know what? I'll, I'll skip the changes because there's another huge fight that has ramifications on the bantamweight division that uh, I want to talk about before I get to the ranking. So actually, we'll uh, we'll pause that for a second and we'll, we'll revisit this uh, momentarily. Um, but moving on, uh, in the featured bout, we had a unanimous decision victory for Michelle Pajeda over Chaos Williams. Um, I want to pull up MMA decisions here because I'm, I'm not sure... Uh, what the media is going to have to say about this. I thought Chaos Williams won. I'm not going to die on that hill because I don't think I don't think he won so decisively that you could not make the argument for Michelle Pajeda. But I just thought Chaos Williams was landing the better strikes, although there were definitely faults in his game, which I'll get to in a minute. But uh, we'll take a look here at the media scores. And actually, okay, so that's interesting. Uh, one media member had it 30-27 for Pajeda. I think that's insane. And probably 12 have it 29-28 for Pajeda. And then I'd say like 8 or 9 have it 29-28 for Williams. So actually, it, it's it's right in between. And what, what makes it tough is that Pajeda did land some good strikes. You know, he's, he uh, his movement is wacky. So sometimes he can kind of slip into the pocket and just, you know, pimp slap you with a, a hook. And uh, I, I think I think optically, Michelle Pajeda is more likely to win the fight just because he's moving around more. I, I know that sounds really stupid, but honestly, in like a in a in a super close fight where it's not obvious who's winning, when Pajeda's dancing around and doing goofy shit and, and moving more, I honestly think that kind of inherently, like subconsciously, you know, tips the scale towards Pajeda because at least he's doing something because that was my biggest problem. And uh, let me let me check the uh, the notes here because I take notes now. I have a scouting book, uh, which maybe it'll be for sale one day. But um, yeah, Chaos Williams, he was pretty damn flat footed 
okay? Uh, that's not good. You want to talk about someone who's not flat-footed because they're bouncing around like a pinball machine? Michelle Pajeda. So it was a, a direct contrast of styles. I love the I love the movement for Pajeda, especially when it's purposeful, when it's not just moving to be a fucking idiot and you know doing cartwheels. But I I love it, just bouncing back and forth. Uh, you know, it's it's almost reminiscent of of Wonder Boy Thompson, although I guess fundamentally the technique is different because you know it's it's you know that's a kickboxing karate background, and I don't even know what the fuck. Michelle Pajeda's background is the fucking circus. I, I don't know. I love the guy though, so I'm not I'm not talking shit. But um, yeah, Chaos Williams, really flat-footed. Even early on in the fight, just kind of standing there, heels completely on the ground, not moving, and he doesn't commit to leg kicks. That was a big thing for me because if you're gonna slow down Michelle Pajeda and, and you slow down his movement, you might want to land some leg kicks. And he just lazily threw uh, some leg kicks. He he threw him a little bit harder at times in the fight but there were so many times where he just haphazardly throws a leg kick and spin, spins around and it's like Michelle Pajeda's in another zip code by the time that would even potentially land so it's like what are you doing there it's so telegraphed you know if, if you either commit to the leg kick or or just don't so I, th- I thought that was was not a really good game plan for Chaos Williams, and I was interesting to s- I was interested to see the game plan because again that's a guy who had two 30 second knockouts to start his UFC career, so we know he has elite power. And I I you know they showed the uh, Abdul Al Razak Al Hassan, I just butchered that that was word soup, but the you know the uh, the the African fighter they showed that knockout from Chaos Williams. Knocked him out with a power jab, essentially, that split the the guard. So it's like, okay, I mean, if you don't land that knockout punch, I, I, your guess was as good as mine as as to what was going to transpire. But uh, I, I did not like the game plan. Uh, but I thought he won. I thought he won, to be honest. But uh, I'm I'm not going to cry over it. I could I could see why somebody thought Michelle Pajeda won that fight. Um. It, that, that fight did not exactly live up to expectations because I thought Pajeda was going to do some crazy shit or KS Williams was just going to flatline him. Um, and I have no clue what's next for Pajeda, but probably another featured bout or a co-main event on a on a, uh, a fight night. And who knows, man, he might get a ranked opponent next. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like they're inclined to, to, to push that guy. Um, and, and for Chaos Williams, I guess it's back to the the drawing boards. I mean, that's that's a tough one. All right, moving on here. Still on the main card, we had a first-round knockout for Rob Font over Marlon Marais. Uh, and, and this was the other fight that I was alluding to that really, really changed the rankings here. So let's uh, now take a closer look here at the bantamweight division rankings. Uh, we have Frankie Edgar moving from 5 to four, uh, so a fortuitous move for him. Uh, we had Rob Rob Font sitting at eleven. We now have him at number five. Jose Aldo moves from seven to six. Pedro Munoz from six to seven. Marlon Marais takes a huge fucking dip from four to eight, so he drops four spots. Jimmy Rivera drops a spot. Uh, Rafael Asuncao drops a spot, and Dominic Cruz drops a spot, so they sit at. Uh, Rivera at 9, Asuncao at 10, Cruz at 11. And then uh, Cody Stamen stays at 12, Song Yidong stays at 13, Marab Devalishvili stays at 14, 
And then Marlon Vera at 15, uh, he's now unranked. Now, I know he lost to the number seven guy, but technically, and we go by we got we go by what they say. So I think Marlon Vera beat Song Yedong, but technically he lost. So we have to respect that. That's the thing. We don't, you know what I mean? We don't come up with our own rulings. We, we, we respect what the commissions say for, for better or for worse. Uh, a lot of times for, for worse. Um, so he lost two of his last three. I ha- he, can't be, he can't be at 15. So we have Casey Kenny, who's on a bit of a hot streak, um, at 15. But again, it's a soft 15. Somebody could easily overtake Casey Kenny. Although he's scheduled to face Dominic Cruz, so obviously he would continue to climb if he if he got the dub. But there, you know, a lot of changes there. A lot of changes. A lot of those guys who were who were pretty highly ranked have just consistently been sliding down the board. I mean, you talk about like oh, like 15 months ago, Jimmy Rivera was probably like ranked three. Rafael Sansa was like. Four Marlon Marais probably was the number one contender fighting for a title, and now they're they're sitting there holding on to their spots in the top ten. Um, so that's that's a lot of changes there. Um, but getting back to the fight uh, for Rob Font, I mean we we talked about it on the preview show. Uh, he needed a signature win, and this was his signature win. Marlon Marais, a guy who fought for the title, uh, he has been knocked out in his last two fights. Um, or no, not his last two, because that would have included Aldo. Um, so that gets a little, a little bit tricky because uh, you know we all know he lost. But uh, th- this was a signature win. You know he 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 was seventeen and four coming into this one, so obviously winning a lot of fights. But he had those setbacks, and, and he overcame it. Third times the charm because Munoz setback, Asuncao setback. You know racks together some wins, and and beating Marlon Marais. I mean he just shot through the fucking rankings he's in the top five rob font is in the top five uh and 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 good for him i mean an underrated striker i like i like his finishing ability he did not allow uh marlon marais any time to recover he hurt him several times in that finishing sequence uh when when they were uh you know still standing and striking where he was tagging him he was tagging him a couple of times with some of those punches he was throwing great IQ. The big thing that stood out to me is he lands punches at the end of the punch. Uh, so he really utilizes his reach. That was the thing that stood out to me because uh, that's where you're going to get the most power. That's where the punches are going to be more, most impactful. Not when your arm is half cocked and, and you're, you're meeting the guy's chin, but when you, when you get that full motion and uh, you know that's, that's what he did. So I, I, It doesn't shock me that he was hurting Marlon Marais with those punches. Uh, that's that's a good win, even though things have not gone Marlon's way. I think he's still a good fighter. He is massive. He is massive for 135. So that's a major win for Rob Font. Um, it, you know, it, it reminds me, and I I said I, I drew this parallel on the preview show. It's it's almost like Munoz when he took on Garbrandt. Munoz was a guy who was in the UFC. He had some setbacks, but he was winning a lot of his fights, but did not have a signature victory. Okay, you you beat Cody Garbrandt. Now you skyrocket into the rankings. Now people know who you are. So it's it's very, very similar. And, you know, looking at looking at Marlon Marais, I think he's too big for 135. I think it's time for him to move up, um, especially with, with all these losses piling up to top guys at bantamweight. He is going to be gridlocked if he stays at bantamweight. The, the, the path back to the title for Marlon Marais 
who is 32, so it is conceivable that he could work his way back to the title, but it's just so tough, man. You lost to, to Sandhagen. Uh, we all know you lost to Aldo, who's, who's you know, relevancy is increasing at, at bantamweight, uh, especially after uh, Saturday's performance. I mean, uh, you, if Cejudo ever comes back, you lost to Cejudo, so it's just... Ah, it might be might be time for a fresh coat of paint. And let's not underestimate a lot of guys when they when they change weight classes. People, it's like the um, it's like that little fucking pen that they have in in Men in Black where they just click it and you forget everything. People forget everything. You could be on a fucking seven fight losing streak and you you change weight classes. Up, uh, O and O, you're O and O at featherweight. So I, I would go up. I think the path to the title is still very tough because there's a lot of young fighters at 145, but it's just new, fresh matchups. I'd be really excited to see. I would have to imagine the weight cut fucking kills him. So, you know, uh, I wouldn't even say he'd be undersized for, for featherweight. He'd be a little short for featherweight because he's 5'6", but I don't I don't really think he'd be undersized exactly. So, you know, I, I would like to see Mr. Clean uh, move up a weight class. All right, moving on to the main card opener. We had a second round knockout for Marcin Tabura over Greg Hardy. Holla fucking Luya, fuck Greg Hardy. That was an awesome, awesome performance. My only gripe with that performance is that he did not flatline Greg Hardy for several minutes. Um, but you know, you got to start somewhere. Here, you, you got to start somewhere. Here's hoping that happens to Greg Hardy in his next fight and every single fight after that. But uh, Tabura, I mean. What a what a 2020 for Tibura. I mean, this was a guy who, after the loss to Augusto Sakai, where he got knocked out in uh, 59 seconds, you could you could have justified cutting Marcin Tibura. At that point, he would have lost four of his last five. You could have cut him. He could have gotten cut, but he comes back uh, in February, beats Sergey Spivak by unanimous decision. Beats Maxim Grishin by unanimous decision. Beats Ben Rothwell by unanimous decision. And then knocks out Greg Hardy. Motherfucker's on a four-fight winning streak. I mean, and, and he's climbing the rankings. We'll pull up the heavyweight uh, rankings here. Uh, he was at 15. He moves up to 13. Uh, we have Blagoy Ivanov moving from 13 to 14. And Greg Hardy from 14 to 15. So... I don't know. I mean, if things get interesting for uh, uh, Tibura. He's 35, so he's essentially in, in his prime at a heavyweight. Uh, at heavyweight, I mean, we see heavyweight fighters fight until they're 42, so he could be around for a while if he keeps winning, and, you know, it gets it gets interesting. Now, here's, here's uh, an interesting matchup for Tibura. How about we have him fight Junior Dos Santos? Junior Dos Santos is sitting there at number 10, we could do a rematch with Augusto Sakai. I don't really see why. Uh, it would make a lot of sense rankings-wise to pit uh, 13 with 12 and have him fight uh, Shamil Abdurakimov. He got knocked out by Abdurakimov in April of 2019. So that might be an interesting uh, fight to run back. But let's have him fight JDS. They, they've never fought before. I'm sick and fucking tired of seeing young, hungry, young, hungry heavyweights knock out JDS. So let's have JDS do an old man fight with Marcin Tibora. That's much more his his pace. And, and for Tibora, I mean, it's a signature. It'd be a signature victory. It'd be his be, his. Well, maybe not his best because you know JDS has seen better days. But you know, 
I don't think he's ever beaten a champ before. Oh, he beat Andre Arlovsky. So, you know, it'd be another name on there. And at that point, he'd be right on the uh, border of being in the top 10. Could get back to a, a fucking fight night main event, to be honest. So, you know, the, the I wouldn't say the possibilities are endless for Marcin Tabora, but he's definitely surging. And for Greg Hardy, I don't care. I'm not talking about Greg Hardy. All right, moving on to the prelim headliner. We had a unanimous decision victory for Anthony Pettis over Alex Morono. Uh, great performance by Pettis. Again, I was a little skeptical of this fight. I don't really know why this was put together. There is a huge talent discrepancy. There's a pretty sizable rankings discrepancy here. Uh, I mean... It's tough to tell because Morono's not in the rankings, but I'd say he's very far away from being ranked, even heading into the fight. So it did make a whole lot of sense. Morono had his moments early. I mean, he had that takedown like 30 seconds into the fight. Um, but, you know, there, there's nothing that Morono does better than Pettis. Uh, you know, and at Morono's best, who did he just fight before this one? Reese McKee, you know, landed a lot of punches, great volume. He showed that he had good boxing. Uh, pretty good power because he was cracking them, but it's all relative, man. That's all relative. There's nothing that Morono does better than Pettis. Pettis uh, is the better striker. Pettis has better power. I mean, look what he did to Wonderboy Thompson. Uh, I, I think Pettis is better on the ground, and that really showed in rounds two and rounds three. So, you know, if, uh, Pettis could lose if he slipped on a banana peel, but bar, but barring something weird like a, you know, a... a an eye injury or a, a kick to the 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 you know the the beans i mean pettis was going to win that fight and he won it and we moved him from 15 to 14 we moved salikov muslim salikov from 14 to 15 uh he wants to go back to uh lightweight i don't know i, I like him better at welterweight but you know it's up to him he's a tweener if there was a 165 he would be perfect at uh 165 um I don't know what's next for him, man. I don't I don't know. He really seems to want to get another crack at the lightweight title. Um, he is only 33, so, I mean, you know, definitely some uh, some tread on those tires. Uh, but I, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. But that's, that's the beauty. That's the beauty of it is, you know, anybody sitting there 10 to 15, you know, I'd like to see that. If Pettis goes back down to lightweight and, you know, it's, well, we got Kevin Lee, Diego Fajeda, Gregor, Gale- Gregor Gillespie. Why don't we, you know, he's been on ice for a while since that crazy knockout. Uh, Islam Makachev. I don't know. That'd be that'd be interesting. I don't know if, I, if, if I'm Pettis, if I want to fight Islam. Benil Dariush. I don't know. There's a lot of interesting matchups uh, if, if he goes back down or if he, if he stays. Oh, there's plenty of interesting matchups as well. Um, yeah, and then for Morono, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Just take another fight. Uh, I, again, they're, they're just a really weird, uh, really weird matchmaking there. All right, moving on. Uh, we had a unanimous decision victory for Pani Kianzad over Sajara Eubanks. Uh, again, I, I want to see this one on MMA decisions because I, I want to see what uh, what people have to say about this one because. Uh, I don't know. I th- I thought that Eubanks won the fight. I was not watching it super closely, um, and I don't think either fighter, uh, you know, just ran away with it. Where you're like, oh, the- this was not a robbery, by the way. Um, but I-, I did think Eubanks won the fight. Um, 
holy shit, there's like 25 scores and like 23 of them are for Keon's ad. So, okay, never mind. Maybe I was off base there. That appears to be a, a good victory for uh, Keon's ad. I don't know. I, I See, that's the thing. I might have to go back and watch that. I don't know what she did well. I really don't. I don't know what she did well. I know what Eubanks does does well. You know, good, good effort and, and, and her grappling uh, was was good. But uh, yeah, I I don't I don't know. Kind of inco- inconsequential because yeah, this fight really didn't mean much. But it could set up a fight that means uh, something a little more. Uh, we'll take a look here at the uh, bantamweight rankings. So we moved Kianzad from 13 to 11, uh, Macy Chasson from 11 to 12, and Marion Renault from 12 to 13. Sajara Eubanks was at 14. She stays at 14 because at 15 is Julia Avila, and uh, Sajara Eubanks just beat Julia Avila in the in the fight before this one. So again, wouldn't make sense to put Eubanks below Avila. Um, yeah, and then for Kianzad, uh, that's that's kind of that's kind of shocking. Someone who I think was cut by the UFC at one point in her career, uh, right on the outskirts of the top ten. That is a very, very, very weak bantamweight division. So it's not saying as as much as it would have said, you know, four years ago. Um, but who knows? I, again, I don't know. There's we we have some litmus tests out there because. You, right above her the three spots above her are all well-established veterans like we have uh lena landsberg sarah mcmahon and yana kunitskaya which are you know probable matchups for kianzad those are all vibe checks potential vibe checks for kianzad so you know if if you want to see if you belong in the top 10 in the bantamweight division facing uh, a long time uh, I guess longtime top 10 fighter in Sarah McMahon, great wrestling, obviously the Olympic silver medalist uh, in, in freestyle. Uh, I don't know. If the, I don't know. But she is a silver medalist. Um, I don't know. That, that, that's that's probably where I'd uh, I'd put my money. All right. Moving on. Uh, oh, this is a fun one. We we had Duran win winning a unanimous decision. Uh, victory over Antonio Ahoyo at a catch weight of 195 pounds. Let's go back and look at what notes I had from that fight because they were not good. So let's start with the loser here, Antonio Ahoyo. Uh, an embarrassing performance against Win could not stop a midget from taking him down a dozen times. No takedown defense, bad striking. So it's not a glowing report on Antonio Arroyo. That is a fuck a pitiful performance. He is 6'3. 6'3. Duran Win is 5'6. I would cut Antonio Arroyo immediately. Immediately. You lose anybody, anybody who loses to Duran Win, I would cut immediately. No hesitation. Embarrassing performance. Could not stop him from taking him down. You know that's the game plan. And it's a midget. Just put your put the palm of your hand on his forehead and hold him there like he's a four-year-old. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Could not establish his reach advantage. His striking was not good. Wynn is the most one-dimensional fighter I've ever seen, and, and that was just embarrassing. The only silver lining, and this is more of an indictment on Wynn not being a UFC caliber fighter, is that Antonio Ahoyo stood up almost every single time Wynn took him down. So he couldn't stop Wynn from taking him down, but he could stand up pretty easily. 
but just oh, just a cringe-inducing performance, just a cringe-worthy performance by Antonio Ohio. You you know it's bad when I feel embarrassed for him and I'm just sitting there watching the fucking fights. I felt embarrassment on behalf of Antonio Arroyo, which uh, is never good. And then Duran Wynn. Let's check out the notes for Duran Wynn. Majorly outsized, fighting three weight classes above where he should be, will never be taken seriously. He can land takedowns, but has trouble holding them down. That's the big thing. If you're going to be such a one-dimensional fighter like Duran Wynn, just uh, an overly, overly inflated lightweight fighting at damn near light heavyweight. If you're going to take someone down, could you at least hold them down? Could not hold them down. It looked like a toddler was fighting an 18-year-old. Uh, I guess props to Deron Wynn because he got a, he got a win, but in a, not a good performance. Not a whole lot to be proud of. Again, I'm not even kidding. He needs to be a lightweight at a bare minimum, a welterweight. Fighting at 195, 195 is, is embarrassing. That tells me you don't take anything pertaining to your to your uh, you know weight cut or 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 body seriously. And I would cut Deron Win immediately just because he won. I, I don't care. I'd, I would cut him on the spot as well. That was not a good performance, and I don't think he should be in the UFC. Uh, you're not taking it serious. Um, yeah, fucking ugh. I hope I never have to see Deron win fight again. Uh, moving on, we had a unanimous decision victory for Tala Santos over Jillian Robertson. Um, that, that was a bit of an eye-opener for, uh, for Santos. Um, obviously, a, a good performance. That's going to move her up in the flyweight rankings. So she was sitting at 15. We moved her from 15 to 12. Robertson from 14 to, uh, excuse me, from 12 to 14. And uh, Andrea Lee from 14 to 15. I don't know. Maybe I thought a little too highly of Jillian Robertson. That um, that was not a good performance uh, by the old Jill Meister there. Um, I don't know. Again, she's she's still young. She's 25. I like everything about her. I like her coaches. I, I love her ability on the ground. But the thing that really stood out to me is, again, kind of like Deron Wynn. Actually, I don't even want to make the comparison because that would be the most... Making a comparison to Deron Wynn with Jillian Robertson would be the most disrespectful thing I could ever do to Jillian Robertson. So I'm not going to make that comparison. But what I will say about Robertson is a one-track mind. You know what I mean? Her striking needs to improve, and we saw that she gets outstruck significantly, not not crazily, but she does get outstruck um, statistically when you look at uh, significant strikes thrown and uh, taken. And the the thing for for Robertson is if she can't land the takedown, if she can't do her work on the ground, which is very good, but sometimes hey, it doesn't work out for you. She has nothing. She has has nothing to offer. So you got to become a little bit more well-rounded and, and work on the striking. I, th- I, st- I still want to be high on her. I still think the potential is there. I really do. But, you know, you just, just got to get a little better. I mean, it's, if, it's not, if it's not working, it, it's, it's like a fish out of water. And for, for Santos, uh, her, I, I, liked her, I liked her striking and, uh, you know, her ability to, uh, you know, dominate Robertson handling herself on the ground. I think that's kind of bold. I don't know a whole lot about her. I don't know a whole lot about her background. So maybe, you know, maybe she's a fucking IBJJF, you know, competitor and that would explain it. But, uh, you know, definitely handled, handled herself on the ground against Robertson. And uh, 
again, you know, working our way towards the top 10 in a relatively shallow division. So uh, probably some interesting fights upcoming for Talia Santos. All right, moving on here. Uh, in the middleweight division, we had a unanimous decision victory for Tafan Inchukwi over Jamie Pickett. Uh, tough fight for Pickett. I would be afraid that he would get cut, especially considering he's 11-5. and five. I know it was his first fight in the UFC, but when Dana White says we're going to cut probably 60 fighters, I would be a little afraid if I had that type of performance. Um, it, it, it was a good one for Inchukwi. I think that was a fight you had to win. You know, being 4-0... I mean, that's that's so raw. You never want to see fighters in the UFC who are 4-0 because it's it's almost a curse because a lot, of, a lot of times you might think you're ready, but you're not. Again, it's not like you beat a ranked opponent, but I did like what I saw from uh, Inshukwi. He's a very big boy. He's a very big boy. So uh, I'm glad to see that he did not gas out, especially considering this fight was at 185. I would have figured Inshukwi was a 205-er. So... Uh, you know, I, I like to see that because um, we see so many other jacked guys have problems with their with their gas tank. You know, like a, like a Menafield uh, or or um, oh shit, why am I blanking on the other guy? But you know what I mean. When you have that much muscle on, on your frame, you know you can get tired really easily. You can gas out real quick. So it w- it was a good performance. I, I noticed, and I, I assume this will be. A, a common theme for Inchukwi, although in fairness, maybe at this level it was just Pickett. But Pickett really minded his P's and Q's when it came to the power. You could see he was afraid of getting hit. So I think I think that's a real thing with uh, Inchukwi being so raw. I mean, you know, the the potential to turn the lights out is, is very evident with Inchukwi. So, you know. Hopefully he he adjusts his style to that. I mean, fighters are 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 going to be really really careful about striking with Nshukwe because, uh, man, especially for 185, I could not imagine the 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 power that that man possesses. So solid win for uh, Tefan Nshukwe. Moving on, we had a really quick finish here in round number one, uh, a flying triangle choke from Jimmy Flick on Cody Durden. Uh, I did not watch this fight super closely. Good for Jimmy Flick. Uh, he's on the doorsteps of the top 15, mostly because the doorstep uh, is incredibly shallow. But, you know, always good to get a win. Cody Durden, you know, fought his ass off when he uh, took on um, uh, Chris Gutierrez. So no, he's no punk. He's no punk. And I, I, think he'll, I think he'll still be around because 125 is very shallow. But good for Jimmy Flick. It's always cool to see guys who, um, you know, a, a lot of fighters specialty is is knocking people out obviously that's very common but it's cool to see a submission guy just doing his doing his thing of his 16 victories i think they said like 14 of them have come by submission so i don't know man that's that's cool it's cool to see how high you could take that at this level and uh, i'm sure we'll find out with uh jimmy the brick flick all right and the uh, prelim opener was a 160 pound catchweight fight between christos yagos and Carlton minus uh, utter domination for uh, Christos Yagos. Obviously, a guy who's been in the UFC for uh, quite some time. Uh, had some setbacks. Had some setbacks against good fighters. Uh, you know, but he he wins the ones he's supposed to. I, I don't have a whole lot to say about Yagos because I don't think his I don't think he has serious potential. But uh, you know, if 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 you don't belong in the UFC, he will beat you. Uh, and, and Carlton minus. I don't have a whole lot to say about him either. I think he's going to get cut because that's uh, two fights uh, 
in a row he's lost, his only two fights in the UFC. Uh, that's three of four that he has lost. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think, I think, uh, I don't know, he looks a little pudgy. I would probably work on the physique. I know that, uh, you know, this is not, uh, you know, Mr. Olympia. This is the UFC, but uh, I don't know. I might work on that physique a little bit. Um, and uh, with that, that's the end of our recap. Is there anything I was missing? We got to the rankings. Got to the rankings. Oh, yeah. Uh, one final thing, because it was the last event of the year, I, I quickly wanted to go over picks uh, because uh, our, our 2020 season is over. It is over. Uh, so I ended the 2020 season with a pick percentage of 62.1 62.1 not too shabby i think i can do a lot better i think i can do a lot better in uh in uh, 2021 i'm not gonna say 70 percent i i think i i think next year i could probably get like 66 percent i i think i could do better uh 247 correct picks 151 incorrect picks and uh, I don't know. I, I went through a lot of cold streaks and a lot of hot streaks, so it was very streaky. So just trying to get more consistent, I went six and six uh, on this Thompson Neal card. But uh, we had some really really good ones, you know. Here and that's the good thing too. So I definitely I definitely had some bad performances where like I was like four and five with my picks, but I never had any times where I was you know one in ten or 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 you know. Uh, two in ten, you know. I didn't have those super awful performances, but I did have those super good performances. Uh, Fight Night Hall versus Silva. I went eleven and one. UFC two fifty four. I went twelve and zero. I went twelve and zero. Uh, let's see here. Usman and Masvidal two fifty one. I went eleven and two. Overeem and Harris. I went nine and two. And obviously, this only goes back until UFC two forty seven. So it wasn't the full twenty twenty calendar year because we we didn't do it until like february but uh that's that's not too shabby that's not too shabby let's let's see where the high water point was um i think the highest i ever got was 64.7 percent i think that was about as high as i went yep i've been hovering hovering around 62 percent since fucking september so you know, it kind of rounded out, but uh, I, th- I think I'll be better in 2021. <clears throat> but with that, we'll end the recap uh, at, at some point today or tomorrow. We'll we'll have the the uh, year end MMA award show. Uh, but for now, you can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely M N North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star M I N. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarSports.media. And thanks for tuning in, everybody.